Well, welcome to 2020. How are we? Good? Yeah. And again, let's just lay the ground rules. It is 2020. All right. If you're one of those weirdos that says 2020, let's get it right. All right. 2020. And that's going to have significance for the message today, in fact. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 10. I can't wait to preach this message to you. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. And while you're turning there, a couple things to say. One, uh, I've had the flu for the last week, and so it's probably good that I'm up here and that you're out there, Jasper. It's great for you because that doesn't come through the screen, all right? Uh, so I'm going to do my best to preach, and I've been through it now. Uh, I've had it a little over a week, and so feeling better, uh, a lot better, in, in fact, actually, just mentally there's a fog, and you might think, well, what's different? That's just normal. Um, but I'm going to do my best to uh, preach today and uh, because I really do feel like I've got a word uh, for us as a church, not just for today, but to kick off this year and, and this decade. We're in a new decade, the 2020s, and I'm really, really looking forward to this decade for a couple reasons. One, I have now been the pastor here at Revolution Church for a decade, uh, which is just crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, thank you. My official start date was January 1st, 2010. Uh, and so now I've been here for a decade, which is just crazy uh, to think. I mean, you know, in 10 years, you guys have aged me. Uh, I look a lot older now than I did. And that's what's kind of funny. But also today is a special day for me because today, January 5th, is my 18-year wedding anniversary. And uh, yeah, clap for me. This is great. Uh, really, you're clapping for Lindsay, all right, uh, because she is the best part of me. And I've told our, our staff this several times. You know, I don't like the phrase uh, that people say behind every great man is a great woman. Um, not that I don't believe in, in men and women being great together, but I don't like the phrase with the insinuation that somehow the woman is behind. Uh, I, I like beside a lot better because in the beginning, God didn't take woman out of the front or the back, but out of the side. And so for me, it's like beside every great woman is, should be a great man. Beside every great man should be a great woman. And that is very much the case for Lindsay and I. You know, yes, I am the lead pastor of our church, but Lindsay is the heart of our church. Um, and not just because she's my wife, but because she has just the heart, uh, the best heart of anybody I've known. Um, and so I want to highlight her and, and honor her as my wife, because you may not see her on stage, but she's called to ministry just as much as I am, and which we joke about. And I've said this before, but on our very first date, I was like, if you're not willing to live in a hut in Africa, don't marry me. And not only is she willing to do that, she's still willing to do that. 18 years. And um, now later, we've been together for almost 20. We were having a conversation about this just the other day with my daughter, and talking about this being 18 years. And, and my daughter loves Hallmark movies, which is great because we love Hallmark movies and love movies. And, and she's the kind of kid that when they kiss, they're like, oh. And she's looking, and she secretly loves it. Uh, and so she was like, hey, where was y'all's first date? And she's built it up in her mind that, you know, the, the, the very first date is romantic. And I'm like, well, we went to McAllister's. That was our first date. And she was like, the ham and bread place? <laughs> I was like, yeah, baby, not every date is like Hallmark, man. And, uh, and it was our first one, right? So I'm not showing out a lot of cash on the first one. I don't know how that's going to go. Um, but after the first one, and Lindsay was willing to live in a hut in Africa, uh, it was not too long after that that we got married. And we started dating in August of 2001 and then got married in January of 2002. Um, and I'm telling you, man, it's been an incredible 18 years and again, not only is I have an incredible woman beside me, but I just want you to know as a church, um, not only does she love me very much, but how much she loves you. She cries just as much about the things of God in this church as she does with my own kids. Um, and so she is literally the heart and soul behind not only who I am as a person, but as a leader in the church as well. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for not only allowing us to be married and in ministry, but celebrating that. Uh, because I think we are called to lead out of our marriage. Um, and that is tough for those of you in leadership, not just in church, but in any form or fashion. Um, leading out of your marriage is tough because it exposes you to people. And people get to see the marriage and people get to live your life with you, whether you want them to or not. 
Um, and so you guys have been so gracious. You don't put a lot of demands on Lindsay and I in that regard, but we love living our marriage out in front of you, the good times, the bad times. And uh, it has been a privilege not only to lead here in the last 10 years, but to do it with her. Uh, so I'm looking forward to this next decade, um, not only for ministry, but in marriage. And Lindsay and I, I can't wait till we hit 20 years of marriage uh, in our marriage and our kids as well. And tomorrow's my son's 16th birthday, which I always have to remind people, that's two years apart. All right. Um, he was born in 04. We were married in 02. Um, so a lot of milestones around this time of year for us. Um, and we're so incredibly grateful, not only for my family, but for you, the church. So I do have a word, I think, for you for 2020 and for the 20s for us as a church. Um, and, and this is a word that has been stirring within me for a while. Uh, we even talked about it on our pastoral retreat uh, earlier last year, uh, and it's going to take us a while to flesh it out, and so I don't have to do it all today, but I want to bring it to you out of this text in, Luke's cha in Luke chapter 10, because I think the word that Jesus says to us here really is at the heart of what he's been saying to me and what I feel like he has for our church, all right? So pray with me, and then we'll jump into the text. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace to us, God, that you came. Uh, the, the story of Christmas is you coming uh, and God with us, that you stepped into the world that you made um, and you put on flesh and you dwelt among us. And not only that, but you died for us to bridge the gap between the sin of our world and the holiness of yours, to bring back together heaven and earth. And God, thank you that you've already done that for us now in a spiritual sense. And we look forward to the day when you will do that in a physical sense. But until that day, God, help us to live to bring heaven to earth. Help us to experience heaven on earth as much as we possibly can through your spirit and through your word. And speak to us now as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. There's only a few verses, but that doesn't mean it's gonna be a few minutes, all right? Because um, I, like, I like to talk, and I'm gonna do my best to get through it. So let's read the text, and then I'm gonna unpack it for us. Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it says, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Verse 39, And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Then uh, tell her then to help me. Now, anybody who has a brother and sister is not an only child, or you have kids today, you can understand this scenario right here. You can understand what it's like, especially if you have a brother and sister, to be focused on what you're doing and to see how it is good, and to also be focused on what your brother and sister are doing and to show how it is bad. I'm the youngest of three. I have an older brother who's six years older, an older sister who's two years older. And they were, if they were to ask you, my sister normally watches online and she's probably amening right now through the screen. If you were to ask them about the source of pain in their life, it would be me, right? The youngest of three, which you got to understand, I grew up among a family of Nephilim. The Bible talks about them in Genesis chapter six, giant people. And I was the smallest of three, and I was projected to be the biggest of three, um, but that didn't necessarily materialize, but I was also the smallest, not because I was just the youngest, but physically speaking, but in every other way, right? My brother was older than me, smarter than me, bigger than me, liked to pick on me, and my sister as well, taller than me, older than me. I was afraid of both of them, just like my father. And so a lot of times it was me and my mother, because we were the more quiet, timid ones, and she was my safe space. And yes, I might have on occasion, <laughs> taking the opportunity to highlight how much better I was than them. Uh, in fact, on one occasion, which is one of my most favorite memories, but my brother and sister tell a little bit differently, um, when they had gotten in trouble 
And I may have had a hand in highlighting the fact that they should be in trouble. Um, and so I told my mom about something. I don't even remember what they did. And my mom's, my mom was, she was creative. She was a working mom, but she, I mean, I went to daycare at six weeks old, but never felt unloved by her. Um, she was very involved because my dad was gone a lot. She was very involved intimately in the flow of our family. And she was very, very creative in her punishments and the things that she came up with. Uh, she used to spank us on the hand with a wooden spoon. Man, I hated that spoon. Um, I broke it several times. Uh, and I did get thanked by my brother and sister for that. But in this one time, she got creative in her punishment and my brother and sister couldn't get along. And again, they would tell you it was my fault. And so what she decided to do was she tied them together. Tied, yeah, like here's my brother, here's my sister, tied their feet together, tied their thighs together, put a belt around their waist, tied their arms together, and they had to spend the entire day tied together. This was awesome because I wasn't. And so they sat on the couch the majority of the day and I would just strut by, how's it going together, right? Like they had to go to the bathroom together, they had to eat together because they couldn't get along. And it was a great day. And so I grew up in a home, again, multiple siblings, where I can understand this story. I can understand that Jesus shows up, Martha, probably the older sister, She's in, in charge here. In fact, it says it's her house and she is the one who welcomes Jesus in. And when she welcomes Jesus in, she is so focused on making sure everything is right, right? She wants to be hospitable. She wants to be seen as a good host. And so she's got, you know, the candles going. She's got sweeping, cleaning everything up. I mean, again, we just came through the holiday seasons with family. I mean, you can understand the stress of all this. And she's getting all this stuff done. Jesus shows up and, and apparently the meal's not out yet. And she's doing all this stuff and she looks over and there's her baby sister sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha says, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that I'm doing all this for you? And there's Mary who has the audacity to sit down and actually enjoy you. Tell her to get up and help me. I mean, just think about it. Can you think of a more narcissistic statement? And I just want to point this out. Not only are we good at highlighting our successes and highlighting others' failures in families, but we're great at doing that in church too. We are great at pointing out to Jesus why everybody else is not succeeding like we are. We are great. We are experts in the sins of others. And that is one of the reasons why Martha's soul, as you're going to see in just a second, is so distracted. In fact, this word here, distractive, it's interesting. It's written in a passive voice. And it's, it's the idea that Martha was being pulled away. Martha was being pulled away. Now, here's the crux of the matter. What Martha was being pulled away by wasn't bad. In fact, it says distracted with much serving. The word there for serving is the Greek word diakonos. It's where we get our English word deacon. And that's an official position in the church. You got elders and you got deacons. And the best way to think about deacons is we would call those team members in our church. People who have positions of authority, leadership positions within our church, but their job is to welcome people. Their job, depending upon whether it's in adults, kids, and students, all kinds of roles, all kinds of ways. And so this isn't bad. What, what Martha's doing here is not bad. And I want to highlight this because Martha can be made out to be like the villain in this story. And, she, and I wanted to just highlight because Martha might describe a lot of us. And the goal of Martha here is not just to be Mary. Like Martha just needs to quit being Martha and she needs to start being Mary. And start doing the things that Mary is doing. And if you're a type A type of person, that's how you think a lot of times when it comes to your relationship with Jesus. You see your relationship with Jesus as more things that you need to do. Especially at the beginning of a new year. You got to get on your Bible reading plan. You got to pray. You got to do all these things. And also you got to choke Mary. All right. And so you got to do this and do this and do this and do this. Right. And then point out everybody else's sins. How exhausting is that? 
And so I just want to highlight for a second, I'm not making Martha out to be a bad person. And what Martha is doing is not wrong. In fact, at some point, if Mary doesn't get up from the feet of Jesus and start also diakonos, start serving, then she would be disobeying the commands of the Bible. So, so the goal here is not just Martha needs to be Mary, because Mary also at some point needs to be like Martha. So here, here's what you need to understand. It's not about if we should work or if we should worship. It's the order to it. Our work should flow out of our worship. Our doing for Jesus should come out of being with Jesus. That's the lesson. And that's how Jesus responds to Martha. Look at it in verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You can just hear this long before the Brady Bunch. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it, all right? <laughs> Jesus is saying this, not annoyingly. Jesus isn't saying, Martha, Martha. He's like, Martha, Martha, come on. Like a father would to, come on, there's more here. And look at how he responds. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So what Jesus is saying to Martha is, Martha, it's not that you don't need to serve. You just need to sit first. You need to sit first. And Mary chose to sit first. And she made a great choice. Because now Mary is not anxious and troubled by many things. She is focused on one thing. And that one thing is going to be everything that Mary needs to get up in just a minute and help you serve. See, here's what we need to understand. When we live our lives for Jesus without a regular rhythm of being with Jesus, we will be troubled and anxious about many things too. And is there a better line that describes our culture than that right there? I mean, think about it. You are, if Jesus could say one thing about our culture, you know what I think he would say? You are anxious and troubled about many things. Now let's break those two words down. Anxious. This, I love this definition. To think moodily. Moody, to be moody. To brood. To have anxious concern. Troubled, I love this definition. To be disquieted. To be disquieted. To be or become disturbed in mind, uneasy, worried, alarmed. If there are two words that describe our culture today, I would say anxious and troubled. We are disquieted, which means we are restless in our souls. We are troubled anxious, worked up. In fact, most people today describe this generation that's coming up, the now generation, as the anxious generation. And one of the reasons is, is not just because of technology. You need to understand this. Again, we had an example of this way back in the first century. But what happens in today's world with the technology that we have we just have more distractions than ever before. And social media has fed into that. And please hear me, I'm not saying social media is bad. We as a church wanna leverage technology. We do that through the internet, through social channels. We want to do that because we can redeem it. And this allows us, even those of you watching online today, it's, it's brilliant, it's great, we love technology. And we should leverage technology. I'm glad we have microphones and I don't have to yell out of all y'all, especially today. Right? I'm glad we have buildings and air conditioning. All that is great. I'm pro-technology. But here's what we have to understand. The thing that social media has done 
is it has just brought more voices to the forefront. It has brought more words coming at us. Now we don't have to wait till seven and 10 to get the news. That's what, that was one of the best things about growing up in central time. We got the news at seven and 10. Now it's eight and 11. I mean, I can celebrate New Year's Eve in central time at 11 and then go to sleep. It was awesome. Got to see the ball drop 11. Now I have to wait till midnight. This is horrible. But now we no longer live in a world when, when it's just that time of block that we got our news and we learned what was going on. Now it's instant. All the time. And, and we got so many words and we're scrolling through so many people's voices that it creates anxiety within us. And we're just living our life listening to all these words coming at us and our brains can't take it. We literally can't process it. And so it's creating so many emotional anxieties within us. And again, I'm not saying social media itself is bad. Anything can be used for bad or used for good. But what it has done, it has made us more distracted than ever. It has pulled us away from the one thing that is necessary. What's interesting when the Bible talks about Mary is it describes Mary as sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his teaching. You need to understand something culturally speaking. To sit at the feet of someone, today it would not be, we wouldn't feel very privileged. We wouldn't sit at the table next to someone. But then when you sat at someone's feet, it wasn't just about the fact that you were at their feet wasn't like that was somehow a lowly position. In fact, it was a very privileged position because back then you didn't go to universities and schools the way we do now. And so back then you wouldn't have joined a university. You would have joined a rabbi or a teacher. You would have been apprenticed or discipled. You would have been a pupil of a teacher. You would have submitted yourself to the authority of someone and you would have sat at their feet because that's what sitting at the feet signifies. Whatever's under your feet, you have authority over. So when you're placing yourself at someone's feet, you're saying they have authority over me. They have authority over me and their teaching is what I'm incorporating into my life. And what's interesting, this word here, teaching, it's, it's, a, it's a unique word. It's a, it's a Greek word that's been brought into the Bible and what's interesting, it's the exact same word that John uses in John chapter one, when he says, in the beginning was the word. That word there is the Greek word logos. And in a Greek mindset, you need to understand Greeks had a polytheism. They believed in a lot of gods and they believed that the wisdom of the gods or the words of the gods was the logos. And so to the Greeks, it was like a, an impersonal, powerful force. The best way I can describe it to you is like the force in Star Wars. That was the Logos. But John takes that Greek idea and, and brings it into a Hebrew mindset when, when he says, no, the Logos is not an impersonal force. The Logos is a person. He doesn't just have principles. He's a person. And he was at the beginning and he was with God and he was God and everything comes from his word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when John said in John 14, six, and he's quoting Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. You need to understand truth isn't a principle. It's a person. So when God is inviting you into the truth, He's not just inviting you to believe a proposition. He's calling you into relationship with the person. And Jesus is saying that that's what Mary was doing. Mary was focused on her relationship with her Lord, Jesus, and letting his words define her. Letting his words be the center of who she was. She wasn't being pulled away and therefore being made to be anxious and troubled by everybody else's words. I'm, you know, I'm on social media. I don't use it that much. And I don't make a habit of listening, and forgive me for saying this, 
to all of y'all. Again, not that it's bad, but can I just be honest with you without you getting mad at me? I mean, I've been here for 10 years, hopefully. I just don't really care about everything that you say. I, I just don't. Now, if I like you and I'm in relationship with you, I care. But the, the problem with social media, and again, I'm not saying it can't facilitate relationships. It can. But it creates a cognitive dissonance in our brains where we're hearing all these words from people, but yet they don't know us and we don't know them. So it teaches us how to live relationships without getting at the deeper stuff of sitting at their feet and listening. This word here, listening, is written in the active voice. And it means to listen with intention. Here's what I'm saying to you. One of the reasons why you and I are so anxious and so troubled is because we're not doing the one thing that is necessary and taking time to sit at the feet of Jesus and letting his words define us. Letting his words direct us. Letting his words fulfill us. And we can do that even in a Christian way where we're distracted and pulled away by so many good things. But I want you to hear me. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't work. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't engage with people. It doesn't mean that. What it means is our work should come out of our worship. Our doing should come out of our being with Jesus. And one of the reasons why we are so distracted and anxious and troubled is because we don't start our day being with Jesus. Now, I gotta be honest with you. When, again, I didn't grow up in church, didn't know much about Jesus until I got in middle school. And then when I did, I was given a list of rules. Here's how you do it, quiet time. And I was made to believe that the super spiritual people got up early and read their Bible and prayed and checked off all this stuff. So I tried that. I'm not super spiritual. I wasn't a morning person until I drove a school bus in college and then I had to become one. But even to this day, I don't really like it. And I was made for decades to feel like if I was going to spend time with Jesus, it had to be in the morning. Until I've been doing some research here lately, and, and I, and I got to, again, I'm so excited to share with you this, this thought. Our world today highlights work over worship. And one of the reasons is because we have misunderstood the biblical idea of a day. At some other time, go back and read in Genesis 1 to verify what I'm saying to you, which you should always do. But in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that God created, and then, listen to this, evening and morning was the first day. Evening and morning, the second day. You understand that the Hebrew people count the beginning of the day at sunset, not sunrise. In the Hebrew world, Sabbath begins Friday evening at sundown and goes till Saturday evening at sundown. And one of the great things about being in Israel was we were there over Shabbat or Sabbath. And one of the things that a lot of Israelite people do to this day is during Sabbath, they will go stay at a hotel because they don't want to cook. They even have a Sabbath elevator that goes to every floor because pushing a button is work. For real. Stops at every floor. So if you're on floor 14 and, and you got to get there in a hurry, don't take the Sabbath elevator. But we saw all these Hebrew families because we were there from Friday night and everything shuts down. And on Friday night, they're there eating together. And, and, and the, probably the coolest sight that I saw was all these tables, all these Jewish families sitting together at the table, kids running around everywhere. And the father stood up with shawl on and he would read the Torah. And they would celebrate and they would worship and they would eat. And there's certain things they can't eat on Sabbath, certain things they can, which again, the, all those dietary laws gets kind of crazy. 
But I was struck with this idea that their day actually began in the evening. And they spent their evening worshiping, celebrating. Most Jewish people to this day will light a candle, have a glass of wine, and be. And then they go to sleep. And then the morning is halfway through the day. And then they go to work. Now, obviously, they wouldn't work on Sabbath. They would take the whole day off. And what struck me was the biblical idea of morning or evening to morning as the day we've completely flipped. Here's what I want you to hear. And I didn't come up with this. Another pastor did, but so I'm going to read it to you. He said this, God built this world to be a merry world with Martha moments. Now in Genesis 3, when sin enters the world and our work becomes cursed and laborious toil, it turned into a Martha world in which we have to fight for merry moments. And you see it in the created order. God created an evening, morning, worship and rest and then work. So now I feel so great because when I'm doing my time with Jesus in the evening, I'm actually more spiritual than y'all doing in the morning. <laughs> You're halfway through the day. But think about this. We wake up, we go to work, we do all this stuff, then we come home and crash. And we try to unplug and we're eating fast food and trying to microwave relationships just to make it in bed. And we're trying to work for rest instead of working from rest. What if we changed the script? What if we went to a biblical concept of no, evening is first? What if we worshiped and rested and then worked? What if we were like Mary and we were doing the one thing that is necessary and being with Jesus, receiving from Jesus the good portion I love how the Bible says that the good portion, don't miss the kind of the play on words here. Mary was there eating the good portion while Martha was making all the food. Don't miss that word portion. We talk a lot about portion control in this country. Size of your fist. Thank God I got good fists, big fists. I double fist them. Part of the problem, right? But here's what happens. You know, when I was young, I didn't care about the kind of food I was eating. I just wanted to be full. In fact, I remember having conversations with my parents' friends because they would be grossed out by any teenage boy and what they eat. But I, I, was, I could sit down and eat a whole pizza by myself. Hot dogs, just cramming it in. And I remember telling, this is how I used to argue as a kid. Listen, I can eat a filet mignon or a hot dog and I feel the same afterwards. It's about feeling full. And I remember having this conversation with my parents' friends who were in their 40s, and they're like, well, I guess that's true. It's like, I just want to feel full. And now, as a 41-year-old, I'm like, there's a big difference between hot dogs and filet mignons. Because <laughs> now, it's not about just feeling full. It's about enjoying what I'm eating. And see, that's Maturity. It is maturity, my friends, to go from a hot dog to a filet. That's maturity. In fact, if you can't cook a good filet, that is sinful. You need to get in a good community group, man. You need to Google anything less or anything more than medium. You're just ruining it. Like, if you want that, go eat Arby's roast beef. <laughs> now it's not just about feeling full. Now it's about the moment. It's about being present in the moment and cutting the steak and enjoying the juices. I'm saying this because we're going to start a fast in a few weeks. <laughs> so you got a week to do this, all right? But that's maturity. That's what Jesus is saying to her, Martha. It's good that you're welcoming people. It's good that you welcome me in. 
As a church, we say welcome. We want to welcome people in. That's good. We need to be hospitable to outsiders. But listen to me. If what we're welcoming people into isn't a good portion, then our hospitality doesn't matter. And this is the thing that I'm convicted by. And this gets into the word for our year. We want to be a welcoming church. In fact, we've talked a lot about vision over the last couple of years. Multiply. We want to multiply campuses and churches. Yes. We want to multiply disciples. Yes. But God has really been on my heart lately to say, Jason, yes, you have the right heart to multiply. Just make sure you're multiplying healthiness, though. Because if you multiply unhealthiness, then you're actually worse off. See, not all growth is good growth. We know that today with the spread of cancer, cancer cells growing is not good. Cancer cells growing and multiplying is not good. And what has happened in so much of our lives is we have multiplied so much unhealth. And so my core conviction, again, we're not coming off the vision to multiply, but we want to make sure we're multiplying healthy people who are worshipers of God, who then work out of that worship. We want to welcome people in to healthy lives with Jesus. And so the word that God has been putting on my heart for a while now was just this sense was the word integrity. Like I knew that God wanted us as a church to have integrity. And when we say the word integrity, I mean, again, nobody would argue with that. Like we just think, well, yeah, you don't lie. You're transparent. And as a church, we, we try to live that way. I try to live my life that way. I'm, uh, you know, I want to be a person of integrity. But it goes way deeper than that. One of my most favorite books, and we give it to people in pastoral care all the time, is the book called Integrity by Henry Cloud, a Christian psychologist. And I read that over a decade ago, right before I came. And he talks about how the word integrity is so much deeper. It means to be integrated, to be whole. See, to be an integrated person means you are who you are wherever you are. The opposite of integrated, listen to me, is compartmentalized. See, men, unfortunately, of which I am one, are really good at compartmentalizing. Ladies, you naturally are just better at things bleeding over into all categories, which can be hard sometimes because you can be in one circumstance and dominated by thoughts of another circumstance. And if you're married, you've asked your husband, hey, what are you thinking about? And we're like, nothing. Nothing. You're like, how the heck do you do that? I'm like, it's a skill. <laughs> I'm compartmentalizing right now. Like right now, while we're sitting down eating, why the mess are you bringing that up? That's my life over there, right? But, but here's what I've realized. Compartmentalization at the end of the day is horrible because what it means is I can compartmentalize so much that I'm this person at home and that I'm that person at work. And compartmentalization is the opposite of integrity. In fact, let me read you the definition of compartmentalization. It's a subconscious psychological, listen to this, defense mechanism used to avoid cognitive dissonance. What is that? The mental discomfort and anxiety caused by a person having conflicting values Cognitions, emotions, beliefs, etc., within themselves. Compartmentalization allows these conflicting ideas, listen to this, to coexist by inhabiting direct or explicit acknowledgement and interaction between separate compartmentalized self-states. What that means is when you are compartmentalized, you have multiple selves. You have multiple selves. You have your church self, you have your person in traffic self. You have your work self. And we've added on a new later. You have your online self. And you're projecting in all of those. And the more that you compartmentalize who you are, 
the more distracted and pulled you are and the less your soul knows who you are and it creates such emotional discomfort that you literally will go insane. So so the solution is to integrate, to be an integrated person, to be a whole person wherever you are. And so the theme word for our church this year is integrated. We want to be an integrated church. Let me say it to you like this. We want to be the same church in Canton as we are in Jasper. One church, multiple cities. And here's why this word, I think, has spoken to me so much. We're in a year called 20, what? 20. Same word, repeated. Same number. Not 2019, not 2021. So for 2020, you know what we want to be? We want to be 20 in all circumstances. And from a vision perspective, 2020 means at 20 feet, you see at 20 feet. But if you have a 2100 vision, that means that you have to get up to 20 feet, what most people could see at 100. So I have horrible vision. Like my left eye, our doctor goes to church here, is like 2600. It's horrible, man. I'm going to need a cornea transplant off a dead person at some point because my cornea is thinning. I got horrible vision. That's why I have to wear glasses. But for so long, the reason why I didn't wear glasses is because my right eye has great vision. In fact, when I was younger, it used to be like 2010, 2015. I could see closer. And so my right eye was compensating for my left eye. And I started getting headaches. And I was talking to my doctor friend. He said, listen, if you don't start wearing corrective vision then your brain will actually stop recognizing your left eye because it doesn't need it. And you'll start having a lazy eye. And I'm like, I can't have that. I mean, I talk to people for a living. They got to know where I'm looking. And I'm not trying to make fun of people. I'm just saying, you know, I don't want to have that kind of vision. So I wear corrective lenses. And this one is so much thicker than this one. This is one of the reasons why I wear the frames that I do, because if it didn't have you know, plastic around it, it'd be like a Coke bottle on this side. People put on my glasses and they're like, oh, this one is so corrected, I know. But when I put them on, it brings things together. It gets me closer to 2020. What does that mean? My left eye, my right eye and my left eye are in alignment. You want to know why so many of us have blurred vision? Because we're not the same people. You want to know why you are so anxious and so troubled? It's because you have so much cognitive dissonance going on in you emotionally that you're so unsettled because you have so many voices coming at you that you say that the voice of Jesus defines you, but everybody else's does. And so your brain doesn't know which is true. Which is it? On Sundays, you raise your hand and you say you believe, but then on Mondays, you don't. You're creating distance, dissonance between yourselves. You have multiple selves. What's interesting here in this text is God tells Martha, you're distracted by many things. The word there, many, is the Greek word poly. It's the same word that's in the word polytheism, which means many gods. And our faith is not polytheistic. It is monotheistic, which means one. Now, God is one in three persons, but he's integrated. He's one. The problem with us is we're not. We're not one person because we don't live integrated lives because we're not doing the one thing that is necessary. And that is sitting at the feet of Jesus and letting his logos define us. So as a church, here's what we're doing. And we've started a rhythm now of doing this every year. We're going to have 21 days of prayer and fasting and worship. Starts on January 13th. It's coming up, not tomorrow, not next Monday, but the next Monday, from January 13th till February 2nd. Yes, I know the 13th is the same day as the National College Championship, 
Which if your team is in that, the best thing I could tell you is pray and fast. And yes, I know the second is Super Bowl Sunday. The best thing that you could do is pray and fast, whether your team is in it or not. And then we're going to conclude those 21 days. We did this last year with nights of prayer and worship, just abide worship nights. Starts on January 29th. That's a Wednesday. That's our student night. Our students are going to kick it off because we want them to lead out in the church. And then Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night into Sunday morning. We're going to just have nights of worship. This year, we're not bringing in speakers. Not that bringing in speakers is bad, but there's only one word we want to hear from. It's Jesus. So we're just going to take some time as a church, as we conclude these 21 days, to worship and pray and hear from Jesus. And the prayer is, God, we want to be integrated. We want to be Mary's living in a Martha world. who have a rhythm of sitting at your feet, of spending our evenings, the beginning of our day with you, receiving from you, feasting on the good portion of your bread and your water. And so as a church, again, I'm not unpacking all of this today, but we just want to set aside some time. And, and you may be already in a Bible reading plan and that's fine and good. I, I, I'm not really big on those. Not in the sense that I don't, I, I can take it too far and just be completely undisciplined. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a scheduled rhythm time. But to me, a lot of times, Bible reading plans just become another checkmark thing. And, and that's like trying to put my relationship with Lindsay into a plan. So many times I've made plans for Lindsay and I only to be so frustrated because our plan didn't work and I missed the real purpose and the real joy, which was the person of my wife. And so we're just going to take 21 days, man. It's, it's not real scripted. We don't have a lot of prayers for you. There's some information on our website. You can go look at it. Just three basic things. Abide, be with Jesus, prune and fruit. And we want you to fast. And there's different kinds of ways to fast. I would highly recommend two things. One, please do at least some kind of media fast. But I would highly encourage you to also add some kind of food element to it. Last year, I did a liquid one. No food. This year, I'm going to do more, and we'll talk more about it next week, more kind of a modified Daniel thing. So I would highly encourage you to do those two things. And we're just going to take some time at the beginning of a new decade for 21 days and say, Jesus, we just want to sit at your feet. Let your word speak to us because you are our word. And then out of that will come a lot of great plans, a lot of great senses of what God wants you to do. But it's not until you quit getting pulled away from so many things distracted with so many good things and you just take some time to be with Jesus so that's our prayer for us and we're praying that God will come in and quiet our souls and give us rest and peace as we realize he's in charge we can worship and rest in him and then work let's pray Father, thank you for your word. That your word came and lived among us. And he modeled this for us. Jesus was so good of getting away and being with you, his father. And letting your words that you spoke to him on the day of his baptism be the core of who he was knowing that if you were pleased, it didn't matter what everybody else thought. So God, I pray for the life of our church. We want to be integrated people. We want to have integrated marriages. God, we're only as sick as our secrets. And the reason why we have so many secrets is because we're so compartmentalized. 
We're one way in one situation, one way in the other situation, one way in another situation. God, help us to be one in any situation. There's one thing that is necessary, that is being with you. And so over these 21 days that we're gonna start a week from tomorrow, I pray that you would meet with us and you would quiet us, our souls and let us receive the good portion. And we're gonna do away with some food and some distractions for a while to get our necessary food. But God, I know there may be people here today who don't know you. They've never received from you and been saved. Pray right now that you would open up their eyes and save them. Anyway, looking around or talking here as we close, understand the invitation of Jesus today is to invite you into his rest. Working to try to prove yourself is exhausting. And there's so many people trying to be good and missing out on the great. And the great is Jesus already proved and he's willing to give you his record if you'll simply trust him. So if you never trusted Christ, you can receive now by grace through faith and be saved. So nobody looking around or talking, if you wanna trust Christ, you can pray with me, not out loud, and it goes like this. Say, Father, I receive from you the good news that Jesus died in my place for my sin. I want a relationship with you, the word. Quiet my soul. Give me rest. Forgive me for my sin. You know, by looking around or talking, but if you just pray to trust Christ, very simply, we just let us know by raising your hand. Thank you. We got men and women are gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put your hand down. But then those of us who know Jesus, again, let's take this time coming up and let's just be with him. Let his words define you. And then let his ways be your ways as he works to integrate you to be a whole person. Father, would you do this in Jesus' name? Amen.